0: Well, it sure feels like summer outside. We're heading towards summer pretty quickly, which means that we're kind of moving into the heart of baseball season. Instead, one of the most difficult things to do athletically or physically is to hit a major league baseball pitch. Let me take out what that looks like. It's 60 feet, 6 inches from the pitcher's mound to home plate. The average major league pitch is 95 miles an hour, which means it's moving at 139 feet per second. Uh, it takes four tenths of a second for that ball to get from the pitcher's hand to home plate. In the first eight hundredths of a second, the batter has to determine which of four pitches could possibly be coming his way and where that pitch would break and move. It takes another two and a half tenths of a second or so for him to see that and respond to that, and he's got to begin to swing while the pitch is still thirty feet away. Living within a blink of an eye, that pitch is 12 feet away from home plate. The levels of mental concentration, hand eye coordination, muscle strength, and responsiveness and reaction speed is just astonishing. So, you got wonder how do you get there? How do you do that? Well, most of those guys began looking something like this. So, after months and months or years and years of, of going to all kinds of little league games, then you go to a ballpark. You go there and it looks something like this. So, how do you get from the first picture to the second picture? What happens? Well, the answer is obviously practice. Lots and lots of practice. In his book Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell talks about a study from Florida State psychology professor Anders Erickson where he, he asserts that, that any person can become proficient, even world class, in any area. With ten thousand hours of practice, just ten thousand hours of practice. Now that that sounds great. If it's a guy with the American, you can do anything, but it's a little far fetched. Gotta tell you, in my particular case, ten thousand hours of ballroom dancing ain't gonna do anything. Just it. Just don't Or Or at dress. Or plan to, bassoon, soon it seems like you've got to have at least some kind of aptitude for something. So a few years later, Erickson and his team came back with another study and said, Yeah, well, not so much. It's not just practice. Time. But if you practice wrong, you're training your neural pathways and your muscle reactions to do the wrong thing. It's the right kind of practice. What they call deliberate practice. And here's how they define it constantly pushing oneself beyond one's comfort zone following training activities designed by an expert to develop specific abilities and using feedback to honestly identify weaknesses, find the best way to work on them, and then actually executing that practice, even if it is challenging and uncomfortable. So it's a specific, hard kind of practice that they're calling for. Now I don't want to disagree with the doctor, but I think there may be even one more deeper layer and that is wanting you gotta want to it's what gets Olympic athletes up at 4 in the morning to do a winter workout or extra batting practice session for those kind of batters it's what keeps a violinist practicing the same 16 measures a section for hours to get it perfect. It was that It's what's in the contractor going back over the details one last time before they hand over the keys to the person that is asking to do the work on their home. Now, there's another word to that. And it's the word devotion. People excelling in the area have devoted themselves to it. So how do we define devotion? Well, here's a way to think about it. Devotion is passionate, sustained, and life-defining commitment to something or someone, fueled by gratitude, love, joy, and sacrifice. It's passionate. It's, we we see it matters. We give our thoughts and affections to it. It's sustained over time. It's life-defining by our priorities and by our investment in it. We're grateful to be a part of it. We have love for that something or someone. We have delight in them or joy and willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to know them better, to walk more faithfully in the middle of that. Now, you and I, we all have things that we're devoted to. Uh, Everybody does. You may be devoted to your family. You may be devoted to your job. Maybe you're devoted to exercise and diet regimen. You're devoted to a hobby. You're devoted to your community. You may be devoted to specific issues in our society right now. It seems that human life is made sweeter and more meaningful by some focus, of devotion, we're we're all drawn to give ourselves something like that in some in some way. If we take away devotion, well, it's a little flat, it's a little one-dimensional. Then, note you, we have a dimension, the most obvious area of devotion, and that's the area of devotion in the area of religion or or spiritual matters. So, in a crowd this size, I'm sure there are some who would say, "I have a daily devotion." I'm going to read some verses of the Bible. Maybe I'll read a book, and somebody will give me some encouragement or inspiration to think about that. I'll pray. That's one aspect of that. Others are devoted to a church, like Living Hope. or are devoted to a, a religious organization at some, some point. So you're giving your time and your energy in that place. But this morning, we want to consider the idea of devotion as a way of defining all that we call the Christian life. But you see, having a daily devotion and being devoted to a church are, are not standalone life choices. They are subsets uh, or, or aspects of I are mean, much larger and more profound, and that's devotion to God himself. So, Pastor Jason, this morning we draw our journey through Psalm 1. To close, I want to encourage you to turn there in your copy of the Bible to Psalm One. If you don't have a copy, there's probably a hardbound black copy on the pew in front of you. We love for you to follow along with us. We always like you to know that that's our authority, where what we talk about comes from. Our focus there has been on good news that God blesses. Now, how does God bless? Well, here's what blessing we says this: it's God's intentional, active application of His good to the lives of people and their joy in experiencing. And I mean, what we've now been doing is naming or listing all the possible ways God could bless us. He's extremely generous. There are thousands, millions of ways that God could bless us. We've been exploring the roots, describing the qualities of a blessable life. A life that puts us in a place that God can bless, apply his good, but also describing two ways to live, the other one that does not do that. So again, guess we're going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ms. Alexandria is going to come and read for us today, and we're going to hear Psalm 1 again. Listen for those two ways to... live. Okay, let's hear Psalm 1.
1: Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by seeds of water that yields up fruit in the season, and his leaf is not with him. In all that he does, he fosters. The wicked are not so, they are like cat when wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment and all the sinners in the congregation of righteousness. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. He's so sweet. So let's move a look at verse 5, it says, Therefore, there's a conclusion here. In verse 6, he talks about the way of the righteous that is known by God. And we defined this last week to remind ourselves that to be righteous means to meet God's perfect standard of all that is good, beautiful, and true. But we can't do that on our own. So Christ had to help us. But so when Christ dies for sinners, He does that to put us right where God enable us to be righteous. That's our position before God. We're righteous when we have life in Christ. But it wasn't meant to be there, but to spread out horizontally into our lives and our relationships so that we, by our practice, we live like Jesus in a way that matches God's standard of all that is good and beautiful and true. And that requires practice. That requires a sense of devotion. So let's sharpen our definition a little bit. Christian devotion. Is passionate, sustained, and lifetime commitment to Christ that is fueled by gratitude, love, joy, and sacrifice. Now it becomes clear, doesn't it, that this kind of devotion is so much more than a 20 or 30 minute devotion, an hour on Sunday morning, even being involved in writing a check. This is the overflow of a deep devotion that is life defining for us. So let's explore what that looks like. Devotion of the Lord calls us, first of all, to a relationship of love with God. Verse 6 says, the way of the righteous is known by the Lord. Now, yes, the Lord knows where we are. He's omniscient. He knows where we are on planet Earth at any given time. So like a GPS is exactly where we are. Yes, that's certainly true. But this knowing refers to knowing every aspect, not only of where we are, but of who we are. People often say this, so often say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that's very true. Jesus said this in John seventeen. He said, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. His inner is to know Him. Salvation is not about knowing facts about God, having feelings toward God that having experiences around God. Because God's not just a moment or a movement or an idea or a concept. God's a being. God's a person. He's one that we can know ourselves. So salvation is a relationship between human beings and their creator, King, that was once irretrievably broken by sin, but through Christ has been reconciled and put back together. Now, the best relationships have this give and take to them. You give and you receive. You speak and you listen. You act and you're still. Love's never one-sided. Both parties contribute. So someone has said, to love is to know and to be known. And the same thing is true of our relationship with, with God. Now, in this relation of knowing God, God Himself has taken the initiative for a relationship with us. For John says this, God's love is revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. He sent so that we might live. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He first loved us. He took the initiative to come after us. Now, that's not just him in Christmas time. That's not just the cross of Calvary at Easter time. It goes all the way back to the very beginning of time, Back to the Garden of Eden where human beings first began their life and human beings first chose to rebel against God and reject His love. That's where the relation with God was broken. And in that moment, God came and promised that He would fix the brokenness. So God moves and works throughout time to bring that relationship back together again. So later on, He spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. Here's what He said. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, "when I will make a new covenant or way of relating with you. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, I will put my law within them; I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, "Know the Lord," for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. He's saying, I'm going to act in such a way that I'm going to bring about forgiveness and I'm going to pull people together into a family who all of them will know me. All of them will have that relationship with me. Now, all of this promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We receive the Lord's Supper. You'll often hear us say, quote the verse where Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. He's certifying it in his blood. Now, here's what happened. God has pursued us while we're still lost and broken and sinful and guilty. While we still have charges against us, a death penalty because of our sin against God and against our life. And he sacrificed his only son in our place so we could be forgiven and go free. And he signs the release papers with the blood of his son. He says, You're free. You're forgiven. You can lose Now, why in the world would he do that? He did that because of love. So that all who repent of sin and trust him might be transformed from guilty, unrighteous outsiders to forgiven people who know him. So we can call him Savior. We can call him our Heavenly Father because he's adopted us. We can call him our friend. Do you see why we say that devotion to Christ is fueled by gratitude? Because everything we call the Christian life is a response to the initiative of His stunning love for us. So because He loved, we could say, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was headed for hell, now I have a reservation in heaven. And we sing it, right? I once was lost but now I'm found. You know what? Like, what? Was blind, but now I see. And it's all because of It's all because of what he has done to totally transform our lives. And listen, this is true. Devotion grows best in hearts that never get over the wonder of grace. That never get over the fact that He came for me when I was a sinner and saved me and took the initiative to love me. So we say, Lord, my heart is Yours. So I've got to ask this morning: Have you have you received this love? Are you reconciled to Him, or are you still running away? Because it all begins in this relationship with Him. Now, now that's gorgeous. And, and that would be, be a dump. I like, said, so that's just the beginning. It says he knows the way of the righteous, so he's watching our life journey. Second Chronicles 16 says this: It says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless. You can put righteous there, wholeheartedly devoted towards him. This word for blameless, righteous, wholeheartedly devoted. That word, interestingly, is, is from a root word that from which we get our word, shalom. It's a root word that means complete, put together. This is exactly the way God meant life to be. Let me ask you this. This week, how would your life have been different if you acted like you really believed that if you were blameless and right before him and wholeheartedly devoted him, that he would give his strong support to you? that have changed your life this week. It changed everything. To know that devoted hearts can expect God-sized strength for their challenges. Remember when Paul had his thorn in the flesh and he prayed the Lord and heard the Lord's answer. He said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me For when I'm weak. Then I'm strong. When I'm weak, that doesn't make any sense. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Oh, listen, here's I want you to hear this. Grab hold of this this truth. The very things that seem impossible to you. The very circumstances that are overwhelming to your soul are the very things, the very circumstances, the very situations that are the place for you to express devotion to him and therefore receive power from him. So, you have conflict in a relationship? You have tension in a marriage? You have tension with your children? Are you experiencing despair over circumstances? A heaviness of weight on your soul? Is there a battle against temptation that you keep losing and sin that keeps keeps pumping at your heart and dragging you back? Do you have some fear of stepping out where God has called you to go? You don't know where to go right in that moment. Here's what devotion says: devotion says, Jesus, I can't, but you can. I will trust you because you're enough and you're big and you're strong. No matter what the cost I am with you, when that happens. Heaven-sized strength comes. He comes. But like that. God knows right where you are and just what you need at this point in your story because He's your good shepherd. Hold your place there. Look over in John 10. In John 10, I want you to hear some things here because we know we know the good shepherd, and we remind ourselves of that in Psalm 23 many times. And I want you to know what the good shepherd thinks. John ten, verse two says this. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own by name and leads them out. When he's brought it all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 13 says that there's a hired hand, they don't care any for the sheep, but the shepherd cares for the sheep. Verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Your shepherd calls you by name. When you say the Lord is my shepherd, it means you can say I'm his sheep. He knows you by name, you're not a number. You're not a barcode in the kingdom of heaven that He scanned through. You're not a cog in some religious machine that God has decided. No, He knows you. He knows your name. He knows the story associated with your name and all the ins and outs and ups and downs of it. He knows you personally by name. that you know, that's in verse four. I will lead them out. He leads His sheep. He'll lead you, and He's with you. So He leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. You're not alone even when that comes. He'll protect you from threat. It says in verse seven that he's the door of the sheep. All came before me are thieves and robbers, but I'm the door, if you enter through me, you'll be you'll be saved. You'll be protected when the wolf comes nipping, I'll not run away. And rod and your staff, they comfort me. You hear a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It says, You'll nourish your soul. Verse 9 of John 10, it says, You'll go in and out and find pasture. Psalm 23 it says, He leads you to green pastures and by still waters, and He restores your soul, the deepest part of you. Verse 10, says, The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I come, they may have life and have it abundant, overflowing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. What? What? There's nothing you need to live the life he's called you to, that your shepherd will not provide gladly and joyfully. He sacrifices himself for your best. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, my own, know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for this chief. I lay down my life. He sacrificed himself for you. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because my shepherd is out for my good and for what's best, and there's the eternal security waiting. It's the last part of John 10, verse 28 says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father is giving to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch him out of the Father's hand and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what that means? It means that your shepherd loves you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just hope that you'll one day kind of get your act together, maybe. He's not as God, I know, says it this way. He says, he's not waiting for some, some better version of you. He loves you now as you are. This is the astonishing reality. And how do we respond to that? we back the love he's given to us. We love him. We give our joy and our sacrifice him with the most of our life because we realize that knowing him and being known by him is the most important thing for time and for eternity.
1: Nothing else matters.
0: So devotion to the Lord begins with a relationship of love to Him where we are known and we know Him. And there's a back and sense of love. But at the same time, it's important to recognize that devotion to the Lord involves rejection of other ways to live. Don't forget that verse 6, we're back in on Psalm 1 now. Verse 6 is in the context of judgment. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, It says, we'll, we'll perish. There are two ways to live, which means there are two possible ways to direct our devotion. We can direct our devotion towards God and or towards other things. We can direct our devotion toward blessing or towards destruction. The Sermon of the Mount, Jesus was very, very clear about this. He said this. He said "He said there's these two ways. He said, I want to enter through the narrow gate. For so wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Wide gate and broad road. The world we live in offers you and I so many options to invest our life, to define our identity, settle our security, and and have significance. So many places where we can commit our time and resources and energy. And when it says wide gate and broad road, here's the way I think we hear this in a default setting. We'll hear that, oh, that's things that are obviously bad or evil. That's what that's talking about. I like kind about people that are given over to addictions, or people that are greedy or treat the vulnerable wrongly, or people that have a pattern of lying and violence and abuse in their relationships, or people that are ethically questionable and have sexual deviancy, or or that they they do this stuff in Vegas that i stay in Vegas and we, we had this whole picture. And it's really easy when we think that way think, oh, that's about somebody else. But here's what I want you to realize. The wide gate, the broad road most often will be things that are attractive to us and that are socially approved. The Proverbs puts it this way. There is a way that seems right to me, but the end is the way to death. It's in there twice in Proverbs. Don't miss it. It seems right. It seems right to give myself to financial security and to career advancement. It seems right to devote my life and define my life around the perfect relationships. It seems right to give myself the influence that I can have that will that will have some influence and change some things around me. It seems right to have the things the world applauds and approves. It seems right to have the things that my kids turn out right. It seems right to give myself the great things to a image that the people will like, and all those things the more that you've got to hear can become idols of the heart. There are things other than God that shape our identity, our security, and our significance. And as we pursue those things and devote ourselves to those things, what happens is that we gradually push Jesus and the gospel right off the road. We squeeze him off the road, put him into the ditch, and it puts us in a very, very perilous place. Yeah. That can be true even here. On a Sunday morning, among people who showed up on a Sunday morning, your name's on a church list, you're serving, you're giving. You know why that? I want you to hear the most terrifying verse in the Bible. Look what it says Jesus says this Not everyone said to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, nor the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many he will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not do many mighty miracles in your name? Let's go to the next slide, please. And perform many miracles, drive out demons. Then I will tell them plainly: I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers! And we've already said that salvation is knowing and being known by God. And He says, "Hey, you're in church. You're doing the church deal. You're committed to spiritual things. And I never knew." Christian life begins with repentance of sin. That's a rejection of all the ways to live, and turns toward belief, looking to Christ alone. That's the small gate, that's the narrow road. That's not not small in terms of, of the offer to messed up sinners, right? No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, he says, My 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 mercy's open to you. You come, but there's a it's narrow because it's a it's an exclusive door. Jesus said this, I'm the way. And the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way. The way is a person. We come into the relationship through him. They see us had about the three sermons before and we remind ourselves this is how we begin a Christian life. This is God's design and sin pulls away and separates us from him. That's we repent of sin and believe or trust in him in the gospel in Christ, then we can recover and pursue God's design. That's how the Christian life begins, but that's also how the Christian life is to continue. The Christian life is an ongoing life. As we walk life, we will consistently have the opportunity to choose other things for our identity, security, and significance that are not God's way. That's that's taking us toward brokenness. So we reject that, turn away from that, believe again in the gospel as the sufficiency of Christ, which enables us to recover and pursue God's design. And we do it all the time. It's over and over and over again. So here's how this works. What the world says we must have but doesn't match Jesus, we'll do without. Because here's what we know. Jesus is enough. What the world says we must need to be cool or have a seat at the table or what sin promises, but doesn't match Jesus. We're not going to do that because Jesus is better than what that promises. And with the crowds applaud. And cheer and vote for and vote in and set records with and make viral and surge towards, but doesn't that's Jesus? We're going to walk the other way. We're going to sacrifice their applause, their approval, because here's what we know whatever sacrifice it costs us, Jesus is worth it because he's better and he's more. And whatever the world might bring to us, we're not going to go down that broad road because we only want to walk on the way where Jesus is. We have decided to follow Jesus because we're devoted to Him alone. It's our devoted life, a relationship of love with Him, rejecting other ways to live, which leads to a regular way of life in Christ. This devoted life we're talking about. This is not just for the super spiritual people that are good at religion, not the pastors or elders or deacons or missionaries or vocationally called people. Not people who know their Bible really good. No, people who can find Habakkuk without looking for people of content. Right? Not those people. Not for those of you who grew up Christian and your first word was Jesus. Not for people whose kids all love Jesus and they post those quote, those cute verse quoting videos on Instagram. It's not reserved for those people. It's for everybody who belongs to Jesus. Every ordinary, struggling fell asleep by reading my Bible twice this week, terrified to start a gospel conversation, occasionally bored, often confused Christian can live a devoted life and it doesn't take 10,000 hours. No, It takes a lifetime. It's a lifetime just following the way with Jesus and walking along with Jesus and walking for Jesus as we live our lives for Him day by day, hour by hour. Moment by moment, this is the ultimate blessing. This is the best good God can give anybody to know and walk through life for Jesus. So, all these weeks through Psalm 1, we've been looking at this sort of life the life that is blessable. Now, I want you to see how this works. The last part of your notes I want you to see how this works. I want you to see this portrait of a blessable life. How do put all these things together? let back to Psalm 1. Blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. The first quality is obedience to the King. To sit in Christ or follow Christ where he is. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. The second quality of a blessed life is delight in his word. Not that I study it and know the facts about it, but it gets in my bloodstream begins to change me. This says that he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. His leaf does not weather at all that he does, he prospers. The third quality is one who has deep roots of faith in him that were centered on and sustained by Christ and trusting Christ. But the wicked, he says, are not so. Verse four like of the wind drives away. The fourth quality is a life of faithfulness. Not like chaff kind of things around, but has substance is life giving in that way. Verse five says the wicked will not stand the judgment or sins in the congregation of the righteous. Next quality is the pursuit of righteousness. And been made righteous. I want to live my life about God's good, perfect, and beautiful. Spirit. And then we the see today the last quality is the passion of devotion. The sustained, life-defining commitment to Jesus. This is the whole portion we're looking at for these weeks. This is a blessable life. I this and put myself in the place of blessing God's good. He longs to bless His people with good. And this sort of life puts us there. Listen, life on this broken planet is going to continue to throw us curves. And while here, look, we're not going to bat a thousand. We'll sway and we'll miss. We'll hit dribblers that'll be there. We'll get hit by a pitcher every so often. We'll get bruised. And every so often, we'll connect. And either we'll knock that apart or we'll get a nice little soft single, it'll be okay. But all the while, if we're living this, we'll be on the field. Living for Him. And while we're on the field, living, to Him, we'll be loved and cheered on by our King. Seriously, I want you to do for a minute. I want you to look at this and be ready today look at that. Our musicians are going to come and play for us for a moment. We just want to give you just a couple of minutes to think about where your life is in relation to this picture of a blessable life. So, just for a few moments, I want you to think about and be honest about how blessable is your life today? Are you in a place where He can bless you? Which of these qualities needs attention? In your life? What adjustments may be necessary? Instead of repentance, you need to have them today? What promises do you need to believe by faith today? So we just listen to the Lord, the Spirit, in these moments as we give some time to examine our hearts by the picture Psalm has given us. How am I measuring against the portrait of a blessed life? just stay together as you know remember this i want to give you the opportunity to come here and just pray and do business with this God Maybe you're here and you need to enter in a relational love with Him for the first time maybe today's your day maybe there's some one of these areas you need to deal with God about and say "Lord, what I, I want to trust you more. see this psalm is individual well, that's great but they were sung by a family of faith Can you imagine the multiplied blessings that could take place in us and through us as this kind of blessing begins to work its way into individual lives together? These blessings are for your good, yes, but they're share. These blessings are for the Father's glory because they show goodness and the beauty of Jesus. So as we sing together in a moment, just ask you to come and live here and pray and say, Lord. Let me live a life and you can bless us for your good in. So Lord help us these moments. Respond to your prompting to our sins.
1: We're grateful for your goodness in Jesus' name. We come as we sing.